It's Thursday, August 10th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Matt Greer, and joining me in studio, we've got David Kretzman from Motley Fool Supernova and Ron Gross from Motley Fool Total Income. Gentlemen, hey, how Matt. are you doing? Good. Hey, how are hey. you? Guys, I'm doing good. And we're also doing a Facebook Live. So, you know, let's all sit up a little straighter. <sighs> Got to make sure my hair is right. Good. good. Yeah. Your, your hair is always right. Oh, you know, it hey, looks good. Mac, that means what a lot my hair? from you. You know, what I mean, you're, you're, you know, it's, it's, it's fine. It's, it's holding on. on. That's good. Holding on. That's exactly well, we, how I would describe it. That's all we require it. from it. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, on today's show, YouTube getting some new competition. We'll talk about that a, a bit later. And Blue Apron seeing a lot of red. Yes. Woof. We're going to talk about that. Blue Apron, yep. a fairly new IPO. Yeah, went public at the end of June. So this is their and, first quarter since going public. And, and a boy, rough debut, and we'll talk not about a good that. Start. But let's start with retail. Ron, shares of Macy's and Kohl's both down big on Thursday. Now, I hesitate to call this kind of a good news, bad news story. It feels more like a less bad news, bad news story. That's fair. Everything's okay. relative. Because we've got right? because both retailers reported better than expected earnings. Right. And same store sales were down for both, but they weren't down quite as much as expected. So that seems <laughs> right. relatively not bad. But investors are not buying it. Shares are down. What's going on? So it's interesting that that's how you put it. So relatively not bad. And if you had asked me to make a bet pre-market, I would have bet the stocks would have been fine to up. Um, because I think <laughs> the expectations are pretty lousy. And the fact that um, the results, specifically the same-store sales results for both companies, were not really as bad as expected, I would have thought investors would have responded favorably. Shows you what I know. Stocks are getting <laughs> slammed. Um, it's interesting though. It's it's a kind of a we're not dead yet moment. I think um, it, yes. it feels to me um, we're Macy's and we're Coles and we're around and we've been around for a while and and we're not going anywhere in the age of Amazon. There's still a need for for both of us, and we're we're getting our our shop in order and we're taking the necessary steps in order to make sure that we can get uh, growth back into our business and improve profitability. Easier said than done. Um, I do like some of the steps they're they're taking, especially Macy's, who is clo- they're closing the stores they need to close. They're cutting costs pretty pretty dramatically. Um, they're focusing on their backstage um, discount um, line, um, which is kind of like a Nordstrom rack, if you will. Um, their Blue Mercury, a relatively recent acquisition, is is pretty strong for them as well. So they're doing what they need to do. They're saying a lot of the right things. It's a wait-and-see-what-happens kind of moment for me, because it's too early. Retail's notoriously a tough business. Even the best of these companies, I mean, basically file bankruptcy at some point during their life. I mean, you know, Bloomingdale's has had, which is part of Macy's, has had its ups and its downs. Macy's has had its ups and downs. Dillard's has struggled. Uh, JCPenney, we talk about ad nauseum, which is a, a tough one. This is a tough, tough business made even tougher by the internet and, and Amazon in particular. So I'm still in a wait and see mode, but at least they're they're taking the steps necessary to right size the business. So I'm going to call you cautiously pessimistic. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> probably not where you want to be. I think that's fair. That's, that's fair. I wouldn't buy, be a J.C. Penney buyer, for example, even though as as a value investor, you could say, well, maybe it's been beaten down so bad um, at, at various points that you would want to dip your toe into that water. But for, for in that particular, that business, I don't think is strong enough for me or will be strong enough in the future. Macy's, I, I, I feel a little bit differently about, and Kohl's 
differently, but but a little a little less. And for me, just looking at both of these companies, when you when you have companies like these that are going through difficult times, they're facing a lot of headwinds in many different areas. When they have such a high debt count, that that also just limits. It really ties your hands with with what you can do. Macy's has five and a half billion dollars of net debt. Kohl's has four billion dollars in net debt. And I think this just for me reinforces why. In general, I like to find companies that have minimal debt or even no debt. It just really opens up your options to be flexible when you do hit hard times. You're not trying to figure out how you're going to make that next interest payment or whatever it might be. So, to me, that's just another yellow flag with both of these companies. If if one of them didn't have debt, that that might make make it a little more appealing to me. But at this point, when you have a fairly weak balance sheet, a lot of headwinds, it, it's hard to see this as a strong turnaround candidate. I, I think that's actually a fantastic point. It's, it could be a point that you can take for any industry. And that's a, a great lesson to teach. Um, that balance sheet is important. And you can't just look at same-store sales and earnings and cash flow. You, you need to look at the balance sheet. And now, back to the re- retail in particular, that's why you have some of these companies that have been forced to restructure um, in, in bankruptcy proceedings in the past because of that death load during times when business is just really weak. So, really important lesson. So, Ron, you're our resident value guy. So, what gets you interested? What makes these stocks more appealing for you? So, typically, when I look at a beaten down company or a beaten down industry, there's always a reason, right? And and if you believe the market is somewhat efficient, the stocks are selling off for a reason. So, at what point then do you say, well, I'm going to think like a contrarian and I'm going to be a buyer when everyone's a seller? Um, when you find a stock that it's is troubled, you have to believe in some sort of turnaround. Uh, and you have to believe in the management to execute on that turnaround. So, for, for Macy's, as I said earlier, I like some of the things they're doing. They're reducing their footprint. They're focusing on on areas of their business that I think will do well. I think management is saying a lot of the right things. I'm not there yet, um, but you can't just look at valuation in a, in a vacuum, because even though these stocks are 10, 11, 12 times earnings, which in a vacuum is theoretically cheap when the market is 25 times, there is a reason these stocks are, in quotes, cheap. Um, because they're troubled. So, you need to be careful. You need to look at each company um, case-by-case basis and believe in the strategy and be willing to put your money where your mouth is and invest alongside that management team uh, in the belief that they can turn the business. And Ron, you made the mistake of telling me before today's taping that you worked at Macy's. <laughs> Juicy so as, details. As, as, as a we, high schooler. As, yeah. as we wrap up the story, how about how about one highlight, one lowlight from your Macy's career? All right, so just <laughs> at the time it was Bambergers, which was owned by Macy's, and eventually that particular store I worked at changed its name to Macy's. And I was in high school. Um, definitely the low point was when one day they came to me during the Christmas season and said, could you go to the gift wrap department? We're swamped. I had never wrapped a <laughs> gift in my entire life. I'm still not good at it. You make that triangle and you fold. Not a thing. Hate the triangle. Or, origami and me do not do not mix. <laughs> so, that was I was really stressed out, actually. It's funny to think about it now, but sometimes I think I still dream about it. Um, the high point was definitely when I resigned and, and, and moved on to bigger and better things. <laughs> Okay, well, not a lot of high points for Blue Apron. The meal delivery service shares down big on Thursday. David, they reported better than expected second quarter revenue. So that sounds good, but then things really started heading south once the earnings call happened this morning. Do tell. Yeah, they uh, they had a lot of uh, unexpected 
complexities and cost in, in management's words. Uh, they, they're rolling out a new manufacturing facility or facility where they put together these meal kits in New Jersey. It's supposed to be very automated, but that's taking longer than expected. They're running into issues as they try to ramp it up. So that that's one thing. They also raised less cash than anticipated with the IPO because their timing really couldn't have been worse after the Amazon Whole Foods announcement. So they had to slash the the price, the entry price for the IPO. So they raised less capital. They still raised about $275 million. But as a result of having less cash than anticipated, as well as these other headwinds for the business, they're also uh, reducing their marketing expense. And this is a company that has spent a ton on marketing, trying to get new customers in. And as a result of, of all these different headwinds, uh, they're they're having to shift their strategy a bit. Something that they found is that once someone signs up for Blue Apron, they really only stick around for about a month. Yeah. So when you're trying to build a business model on a subscription model, that is awful. <laughs> that, that, that That's not going to turn out very well. So as a result, they're losing a lot of money. They're spending a and, and over the past year, they've spent over $450 million per new subscriber to the service. And the average revenue per subscriber right now is about $250. So you're losing a lot of money. Uh, so with all those different headwinds, shifting their strategy, uh, that that's not a strong entrance <laughs> to the public markets <laughs> when this is your very first quarter. So a lot of things here. but uh, and, and they're also guiding for revenue to stagnate and drop later this year. So as, as a result of pulling back on that marketing spending, they're expecting revenue to essentially flatline. So, revenue grew over 40% in the first quarter, grew 18% this quarter, and then we'll probably see it flatten and drop the next couple quarters this year. So, not not a good entrance as a newly public company. Yeah, completely agree. I think that that hit the nail on the head. To me, it's, it's you can boil it down to they've got a business model problem in both terms of competition and what it costs to um, acquire a customer and then keep a customer. And then you pile on top of that an operational problem now with, with the New Jersey facility. That, those are two things that are, never go go well together. Um, and you, You'd probably be just enough to have a business model problem, and as an investor, you'd say, I'm going to stay away. Why would I want to invest in a company with a business model problem? Um, layer on top of that, now operational difficulties, and you can see it in the stock. I mean, this, the market in this case seems perfectly efficient to me. Um, investors really don't want anything to do with the stock and, until, perhaps, maybe, they can they can get their act together, but um, it's going to be tough. And that that business model shift is is the recognition on management's part that people are not treating Blue Apron like a subscription service. They're treating it more just like any other e-commerce purchase that they make. So okay, I'll sign up. I'll get a few meals this month, and you'll kind of choose when you uh, want to use the service. And Mac, I think you've used it. So yeah. is that yeah, pretty we, in line with your experience? Yeah, we were talking about this before the show. I mean, we used it for a month or so, and the recipes are incredible. And I should say that, but you also feel this pressure because sometimes you know you get home, you're like, you know what, I don't really want to cook tonight, or you want to go out, or you want to do something on the fly, and you've got this blue apron, fresh, all these that fresh piece of salmon in the yes, fridge, just <laughs> waiting for you, right. yeah, and you just feel all this pressure. Um, but when you cook it, it is absolutely incredible. But but the other big issue I had with them, and we don't use it anymore, um, is the packaging. And the packaging, you know, you just everything is wrapped and you get tired of all this packaging. And that's why I think, like an Amazon Whole Foods, if they can kind of solve that, if you've got basically a cooler on your front door and you've got fresh produce that they can deliver and there's no packaging, then that to me feels like an even bigger problem for Blue Apron. Now, I, I loved, love, love the recipes, but we don't use it anymore. At the end of the day, well, there you it, go. It, it, it just, you know, I, and, and I'm, not, I'm not sure, Ron, you're, yeah. you're, you're a great cook. I come to you for advice all the time. 
Right. Is Blue Apron ultimately are they after the like aspiring gourmet foodie, or are they after someone who just wants convenience? Because if that's if that's the market, they're not quite convenient enough. I, I yeah. think I think it's convenience with also a person who enjoys um, the process of cooking. Now, I enjoy it so much that I actually enjoy the process of shopping. Um, yeah. For for the produce or, or for or for the fish or the, or the protein or whatever it is, so that isn't really something that would interest me. I don't want someone to do that for me, but I certainly understand that there are plenty of folks that you know that do want it done for them. Well, Mac, just speaking to your experience, that is something Blue Apron is is focusing on. That's what they're shifting their strategy toward. More, they're shifting away from trying to acquire new customers, which they've been doing guns blazing over the past few years, and instead they're going to try to focus on customer retention. So keeping the people in their ecosystem once yeah. they have them in. But that's obviously a pretty big shift, and especially as soon as you go public and you're announcing this shift, that isn't exactly a strong show of confidence uh, on the part of management's <laughs> you know, uh, talents. Like you, you sh- This is something you should have mentioned uh, before you went public and should have had some idea that these headwinds were arising. So to, to drop this on the public markets within a couple months of going public, this is really just a, a case study for what not to do in an IPO. Because wh- when you go public, you want to make sure you know what the business, you have a good idea what the business is going to do. You want to go public at a strong time. You want to gain that investor confidence and build that confidence. But in this case, it's hard for me to take management at its word now, because these are all substantial issues that they should have known about a couple months ago before going public. And if you ever see a a pre-IPO price come down, I believe in this case, a price lower than either the range or at the low end of the range, big, big red flag means there's not the proper demand. The investment banker going out and looking for the institutional demand to sell the stock into the marketplace. And if that demand isn't there, they have to bring the price down to a point of where the demand is there. And there's equilibrium between the supply of the stock and the demand for the stock. Big, big red flag. Yeah. And looking at the high-profile IPOs this year. It hasn't been a great year in that yeah. sense. So, I, if I'm a private company now, I'm taking note of what's happened to Snap and Blue Apron, companies that have been struggling pretty much right out of the gate. And you know, the public markets are, are different <laughs> than than the private markets. It's a it's a different ball game. So, I think Redfin is a, a recent IPO that I think they have their act together a little bit more. That the stock has actually been doing well since going public a couple weeks ago, but. Uh, yeah, if I'm a private company, you, you got to make sure you have your act in order before you go public, or you're going to get whacked like Blue Apron and Snap. Well, guys, let's move to Facebook. Facebook making a big push into video. Facebook is adding a watch tab that will include original video produced exclusively for Facebook. The watch tab will feature personalized recommendations as well, and categories like most talked about, what's making people laugh, and shows your friends are watching. David, what does it all mean for investors? Well, I think the the interesting thing here is this will really be the place that Facebook houses a lot of its original content. So that'll, that'll be some live media, like its new deal with Major League Baseball, where they'll be showing one game a week. They have some original content from uh, Mike Rowe, the former host of yeah. Dirty Jobs on Discovery. So they have a lot of different content that really runs the the gamut here. And it makes sense to house that content in one place. Uh, at, at this point, video on Facebook, it's not easy. I don't know if it's even possible to search for a video. I've never done that. Sometimes you know, you'll see videos in the Facebook feed itself, but you don't go to Facebook as a destination saying, I want to find and watch this video. Typically for that, you'll go to YouTube or somewhere else. So I think, uh, I, I don't know if I necessarily see this as a direct competitor to YouTube, because from what I've read so far about this announcement, it seems like it's mainly focused on that original content. But I'll be curious to see if they actually 
try to have have this uh, new feature house a lot of the the user's content and things like that and just make video in general more searchable and discoverable on Facebook because up to this point they're that, that hasn't been a focus and they're clearly lagging YouTube on that front yeah I like this you know anything to make Facebook more sticky like like the world needs a m- more excuse to suck productivity out of their day. <laughs> Why not? Um, and, 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 but uh, you know, I, I'm on there as, as much as the next guy, and, and, I, and I think I, I like this. Um, I do have a demographic question. Whereas I think YouTube um, is watched and searched by people of all ages. Yeah. I think of Facebook um, as having lost the youngest of our generation, <laughs> <laughs> the younger kids, let's say. Um, and I don't know if this gets them back. Um, I don't think it does. I actually. don't think they ever had the youngest. Right. I mean, I was... I, right. But even even teenagers or college age right. kids, I think for the most part, you'll, they'll do a little bit of posting, but they've uh, left Facebook up to, to, to us us old older folks. Um, and that therefore, I th- question whether the videos that are produced or put on YouTube will they kind of have the same viewership. You know, YouTube if you get if you get something hot, you can get you know multi millions of, of viewers um, watching that video. Um, I, I just con- I'm concerned that Facebook's narrower narrower is that a word narrow yeah. demographic um, could could. Um, restrain that a bit. But if this gets people to engage with Facebook for longer, so it's not so much more people are coming to Facebook to watch videos, because to Ron's point, I don't think they are. But if you're spending more time on Facebook because of videos, this is a win, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Facebook is all about engagement and keeping people on that platform longer. And I think video video has been a focus uh, on Zuckerberg's part for, for a while now. And this I think should be uh, you know more of a, a concrete, dedicated hub for that video content, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how this deal with Major League Baseball turns out. Because if you're going there to Facebook to watch live sports, original shows, then I don't know, it becomes uh, even more of a destination as a platform, and not only a place where you go really just to to blow off some steam and yeah, and not to, be productive. And to that point, do you think this sets up this sets off even more of an arms race between you know Facebook? Um, YouTube, Netflix, HBO. I mean, does this up the ante for all of them, or do you think if you're YouTube, you're looking at this saying, "Eh, I'm not really worried." Uh, I, I think you, you you certainly need to pay attention to it. This really is a a battle among platforms and ecosystems at this point. And you know, there's only 24 hours in a day, and you're trying to capture as much of that from your respective users. YouTube's been doing you know some similar initiatives with their YouTube Red offering, where they have original content, uh, paid. They're paying some of their top creators and stuff. So you're seeing more of these companies, even Apple, push into original content. Still very early days. Uh, so I'm not really convinced on what strategy makes the most sense yet. But I, I think it makes sense for these companies to be testing that. And in the end, let's not forget, this is still all about advertising dollars, right? The, yeah. the, the, so there's, there's only a certain amount of advertising to go around, and there's only a certain amount of dollars that advertisers will pay. Um, for more eyeballs and stickier eyeballs, obviously, you should be able to, to charge more for that, which is, I think, the game plan right here. But still, um, you can't have too many. You can't have all the companies charging all the money for all the advertising. The math just doesn't work. Okay, guys. Well, as we wrap up, I mentioned that one of the sections on Facebook's watch tab is going to be what's making people laugh. So, how about one video or one type of video that you have to put in that section? Well, I'm going to go with some inside baseball here. I'm going to go with the Earthquake 2011 video 
courtesy of fool Lawrence Morrison. Uh, this is on YouTube. <laughs> I think that it needs to be on Facebook, too. Wow. That's inside. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so okay, we'll, maybe we can tweet it out or something. Shout out this to is, Randy. Yeah, okay, this good. is a, uh, okay. a legendary video. Okay, that good. always makes me laugh. That's a bold call. Okay, Ron? I like uh, watching comedians, specifically anything Louis C.K. puts out, but uh, there is a bit of schadenfreude, I'm going to say, here on my part, because I also like watching the videos where people are like, Falling and hurting themselves. <laughs> wow! Nothing, nothing too, too, too bad. You know, I don't want anyone going to the hospital. But I do like like a good fall every now and again. The fail videos. Yeah. Yep. I um I love watching old concert videos like the yeah. Eagles from like 1971. Oh, I love watching that. And then my guilty pleasure. It's not even guilty. The the video I love, my go-to um make me laugh video is the video of the monkey riding the dog. And it's usually like <laughs> like at the rodeo or somewhere and I think the monkey may even be wearing a bandana. And at least well, why one, wouldn't he? Yeah, I mean it's yeah. it's just if that video stops being funny, then I'm dead. It's sort of like the video of the kitten riding the turtle. That's oh, another one that always always does it for me. Yeah. How solid. My, my my favorite joke, once a month, I'll send my wife an email. I'll say, you have to check this link out, or here's a very important document, or I don't know if you saw this bill, and it'll be the link to the, the monkey riding the dog. And she's got speakers in an office, and I just and, and it's got the yakety sax music. Everything about the video is perfect. The secret to a happy marriage. Oh, Following up on yesterday's episode. It's impressive. And the monkey stays on the dog. I mean, of monkey, course, yeah. it wouldn't be funny. <laughs> it would be It'd funny, be funny to, to me. To you, right? <laughs> okay, guys. Well, thanks for joining us thanks, today. Thanks, Mac. Um, as always, people on the show may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Matt Greer. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. <laughs>